0: this road goes in it must come out said the scarecrow and as the emerald city is at the other end of the road we must go wherever it leads us anyone would know that said dorothy certainly that is why i know it returned the scarecrow if it required brains to figure it out i never should have said it
1: I'm Lynn Miller.
0: And I'm John Modaff, and this is The Unruly
1: Muse. We are talking about art against the madness.
0: Yes.
1: Here we are with The Wizard of Oz, which covers another cataclysmic time. We have this tornado, which kind of opens up a crack in the universe. And right now, we have lived through a time the pandemic, and the cultural upheaval around it, which has kind of opened up a crack in our cosmos. So it seems like this is a moment when madness has leaked around the atmosphere. And what do we have to counter that? We always have art. It gives us some order, and it also gives us passion.
0: So important to keeping one's sanity. So that's one of the functions. What other kind of madness, besides sort of battling against the degradation of the world, might we mean...
1: Well, I think one of the madnesses has been a lack of a sense of humor for maybe the last four and a half years and five years. Uh, and we at The Unruly Muse are very attuned to the whimsy in the world, which often accompanies art. I'm thinking of things like the surrealists and the absurdists after World War One. So when we have these Cracks in the cosmos. We need the outrageous. Also,
0: do you write, and the artists that you talk to talk about keeping themselves the opposite of mad? The dare I say, sane. I think by doing their art,
1: absolutely. I think <clears throat> I think for people who create, when they don't create, they feel a little mad because they need that structure and they need that avenue from their right brain into making something.
0: So it might be a good way to stay sharp. And that is an unplanned yet appropriate segue to our first piece this time, which is a song. And it addresses another form of madness, and I hesitate to say madness because it is it is the wrong word, but it still is a matter of the mind, and that has to do with dementia. Right. And this is a song that sometimes people get mad when they have to deal with dementia, and other people mistake it for madness, which it is not. But uh, it requires a special form of communicating and patience. And so to combat and to uh, perform artistically against that madness, in a sense, one's conversational skills are taxed. And that's what this first song is about. And it's called The Roof of the Jewel. All the other morning talking to his cats as I picked up the phone Did your mother tell you happy birthday? Do you know what this button is for? What was the name of that boy? The one who fell through the roof of the jewel I always liked his dad But his granny smoked like a fool I just smile as he rambles Because before too long Henry will answer all his own questions In just a few Yes, I remember your mama's gone I put a flower on her grave every day All I got to do is close my eyes To see her look past her shoulder my way I remember that boy's name was Mike And it was his granddad who smoked Lucky Strike for the life of me, George, what I can't figure out is what the hell this button is for. Henry's gonna call this morning, talking to his cat, says I picked
1: Well, I love this song, John. I think it's an amazing piece about forgetting and memory and everyday life, and it's very poignant, and I know it's a recent song, so I'm curious what prompted it.
0: I'm sure we've all had experience, and as we get older, maybe even with our own friends or our own friends having to treat us patiently, but of letting people talk their way back to their memory Yes, by n- not correcting them.
1: One of the things I love about the song is that Henry answers his own questions, eventually.
0: If you hear a story about 20 times from somebody, eventually you get most of it.
1: I was just thinking about entropy and how the universe tilts toward entropy. Our bodies do. Everything does. And I think dementia is just another form of heading toward entropy.
0: Also, it can be fun when you resign yourself to saying, I'm going to listen to this story again. Mm-hmm. And then see see the right answers come out. So it was worth waiting for because you didn't have to fix anybody. Or to see how it goes this time. What little juicy detail is added or kept out or rearranged. Sometimes it's really worth listening to.
1: I agree. and And it allows you to get into the flow of their mind and memory, which is always a lesson for us. You know, to be in yes. someone else's rhythm and just let go of ours.
0: And our next piece, in fact, is a tremendous opportunity to do that. It's a great poem, which you'll tell us about the genesis of. And it deals with deep memories, it it appears, uh, that the poet has about some experiences. What can you tell us?
1: Okay, this next poem is by Mickey Aronoff, an Albuquerque poet. It's called Advice to a Stalker of Sekhmet from Ra who understands her best. And here's Mickey's genesis for the poem. Sekhmet. Whatever the prompt was, I was probably looking for an excuse to write about Sekhmet. When I was a child and frequented the Cincinnati Art Museum in the days when you could still touch statues, I would always rush first to the head torso of Sekhmet and stroke her lion like nose. Was I a Sekhmet stalker? I will just throw out that Sekhmet, the goddess, is both a healer and a warrior, and she is the daughter of Ra, the sun god. So that's who the Ra is in the title, and I'll say the title again because it's quite complicated. Advice to a Stalker of Sekhmet from Ra who understands her best. It was her breath that created the desert, Be not grumbly nor snarly on this of all days, the day of her praising.
0: Do not touch or fluff her or carouse in her presence, no matter how your fingers itch.
1: Don't remind her of her drunkenness.
0: She will stretch across your face like a cat with a newborn. Suck air, soak heat from your reddening cheeks, knead your pigeon-breasted chest.
1: Neither fishtail nor jackknife at the base of her tail. Bury your surliness in the cave of your mouth.
0: Don't cry or fry her name or fray her garment.
1: She will unzip her purse of wrath, spill blood, stain your blasphemy. Then swell, split her best red linen dress. She will
0: brine you with tears, bucket you with mockery's moist applause, amused by your feeble attempts.
1: Because you will never know the right words.
0: Because there are no right words.
1: We have considered, recommend you befriend canines. Accept them as your kind. We We can can assist.
0: assist. But for now... Heed my words or I will singe you seamless, leave you to smolder in tall, dry grasses, leaves sharp as
1: sabers. Don't try to seek her out. She is hiding. We'll be angry, I've told you, in a pyramid.
0: Do not deadhead her new home. Leave her be.
1: Sekhmet needs her kip now.
0: She's been bored for all these years.
1: Wonderful, John. I think Mickey has something here.
0: Even though the language is very sophisticated and dense, can you see the child attracted and yet afraid of this piece?
1: Oh, yes, because this goddess can do anything. She can spill your blood. She has a purse of wrath. I mean, she is all powerful with which, you know, children are attracted to because they don't feel very powerful.
0: So if we think of that little hand petting the nose and then read this poem, it becomes a gas. It's yes, uh, right. She's daring the statue to disembowel her almost.
1: And she wants to be friends with this powerful being. And just think this goddess rejects any nonsense from other people. That was clear throughout the poem she is her own deity who chooses her own reality. So what kid wouldn't be just attracted to that?
0: Our theme then pertains to this very well because we've got the artist who created this sculpture daring to or wanting to or needing to in their own context against whatever madness it was they were trying to understand. And then this child who is comparing this statue to the world that she lives in or, or this could be an adult too just anyone saying I see you I know how strong and how powerful you are but I'm gonna pet your nose
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> yes which makes me powerful right it reminds
0: me of that the artist's name was Montrose back in the Carter years uh-huh. and he was uh, presumably Montrose did this the first drawing of a tiny little mouse looking up into the sky at an eagle soaring down with its talons ready to get the mouse, and the mouse is flipping him the bird.
1: Great, yeah. So it's
0: got the middle finger up, and it's going to die. But that's, to me, that's the perfect metaphor for the artist to the madness. The artist is saying, I see you.
1: Right, and, yeah, I'm going to throw this out there anyway. Even if you don't like it or you're going to reject it, this is what I've got to say.
0: Well, we're going to make a little bit of a sharp turn here to our next piece, an adaptation of a short story by Lynn C. Miller. Lynn, what can you tell us about it?
1: Well, I'd like to say that the piece will kind of speak for itself and then we should talk about it. How does that sound?
0: Here it is, Coincidence, an adaptation of the short story.
1: Bradley liked to know what would happen next.
0: Always.
1: He knew the alarm would go off at 6.45. He always woke up 15 minutes early so he wouldn't be surprised. But would he wake up if he didn't have that alarm set?
0: He prepared the coffee pot the night before and set the timer so the coffee would be ready at 7.01.
1: He collected his newspaper after he hit the toaster oven button, but before he poured the coffee. More of the routine continued throughout the day.
0: However, on this particular Monday, when he opened the front door and looked toward the driveway, he saw that all four of the tires on his car were flat.
1: He walked out and sat on the front stoop.
0: Maybe the last time he'd been this surprised was when Melissa had left.
1: She had turned on the toaster oven just as he came into the kitchen, hair plastered to his head from the shower, and said, Bye, Brad. Oh, I like the sound of that. Bye, Brad. Bye-bye. That was two years ago in April. He looked at his watch. Today was April 16th.
0: The same day that she left.
1: He stared at the flat tires.
0: But no matter how long he looked, not one of them reinflated.
1: Bradley guessed his baby blues had lost their power. Melissa was the one who had called attention to them back in the day. You have the most
0: fantastic baby blue eyes, she'd tell him, each time saying it as if for the first time.
1: He and Melissa had gone to junior high together. Brad was now 33. Shit. He said, but before very long, he started to smile. He called work and told his boss he was sick. It's like... I can't move. No wheels are turning, you know what I mean? His boss said she knew, but he didn't think she did.
0: Not quite. The warmth in her voice almost tripped him into guilt.
1: We'll cover for you. Don't worry.
0: He decided this day he'd take her advice. He would not worry.
1: So, instead of heading for work, Bradley chucked his briefcase inside the screen door and headed for the park a few blocks from his home. He couldn't remember the last time he'd gone there was springtime in Albuquerque. A few leaves sprouting, a lot of sunshine, and a bottomless blue sky. He took a
0: deep breath. Mm, Gotta love that high dry air.
1: The park in his neighborhood was empty except for one woman on a bench feeding the birds.
0: Long dark hair parted in the middle Slim waist, broad shoulders under her long red shirt, long legs stretching to tomorrow. She was a knockout.
1: It was Melissa. Bradley stood behind a broad cottonwood tree and watched her. She had a wrinkled paper bag next to her on the bench.
0: Melissa dipped her slender fingers into the bag and tossed out some coarse bits.
1: Sunflower seeds, bread crusts. Sparrows and doves clustered at her feet.
0: Bradley felt like he was in a new version of Mary Poppins.
1: I see you lurking behind that tree, Melissa said without turning her head.
0: Do you live near here? Bradley asked.
1: What do you say to someone you haven't talked to in two years? Someone you used to know so well, you didn't have to say anything for her to know what you were thinking.
0: Bradley wondered if all of their secret knowledge had faded away.
1: Melissa turned her head then. Remember that Ionesco play about the man and the woman who wonder where they've met before?
0: Bradley shook his head. Melissa tossed out a few more seeds.
1: The old couple are on the train and they ask each other where they're from, which street they live on, what is their house number, and so forth. Each time, they exclaim, how curious, how bizarre, and what a coincidence. It is perhaps there that we've met. At the end, they find out they share the same bed.
0: Bradley didn't know what to say.
1: He didn't even know where to start.
0: So he just waited. Finally, she said,
1: about the park, yeah, I just live on the other side. The far side if you're in your house, the near side if you're in mine.
0: Bradley felt his mouth open and close, like a guppy trolling for oxygen. You're kidding, he said.
1: How curious, how bizarre, and what a coincidence, Melissa quoted again to him.
0: Bradley slid out from behind the tree and slouched over to the bench. She extended a hand.
1: Sit. Aren't you usually at work on Monday morning?
0: You know I am. You know everything about me.
1: Used to, she said. "'You surprised me today, though, so maybe I don't know you as well as I thought.'
0: "'Well, you never used to like getting up early.' Bradley resisted the impulse to smooth her hair behind Melissa's neat little ears.
1: "'I used to make you breakfast,' she said.
0: Bradley's fingers itched to touch her. Melissa was one of those women who don't seem to have pores in their skin. It was so smooth.'
1: Bradley noticed things like this. He worked in an ad agency."
0: Bradley sat next to her. My car didn't work today, he said.
1: Yeah, I know. Sorry about that.
0: Hmm. Does that mean you wanted to see me, he asked.
1: How would I know you would come to this park? My park? I've never seen you here before.
0: Bradley nodded. How curious. But maybe not a coincidence.
1: The doves scattered.
0: As he leaned forward.
1: And took her Her hand. hand.
0: Well, Lynn, this story, every time I read it, it got funnier, even though the first time I read it, it wasn't at all funny, I should say that, first of all. But then I started looking at it and saying, well, wait a minute. It ends in such a different place than it begins, and you don't see Slash Tires in love. You you don't see them hanging out together much.
1: That's right. Well, clearly, uh, Melissa had been annoyed for quite some time with him. Perhaps he was only paying attention to his routine. For me, this fits into Art Against the Madness because here we have a man who is clinging to his sanity by organizing every detail of his life. So he loses Melissa, but she's obviously not happy about that either. But how can she get his attention? She has to crash his routine. So she slashes the tires and waits to see what happens.
0: And even that word slash, it's really hard to associate that with her feeding the birds. <laughs> but actually, until I saw the car in the driveway as a sculpture, ah, uh-huh. and she was saying, look what I can do. It was, it's sort of the anti-hero of sculptures. It's an anti-sculpture. Yeah, yeah, that's she, great. Sh- she took a couple of tons of of weight and lowered it about six inches. Yes. Uh, Four times. And (laughs) with a a simple knife, and talk about art having a meaning, it sure as hell said something. But he wasn't mad. He didn't seem as mad as I thought he would be.
1: Well, I think he misses her so much when he sees it's April 16th, and that's the day she left, that, you know, in a way he's so glad that something has gotten him off his path of sameness which is a kind of madness. I mean, no flexibility, right? Isn't that one of the definitions? <laughs> one of the things that inspired this story for me is I have always loved Eugene Ionesco, who wrote The Bald Soprano, that that line is from How Curious, How Bizarre, and What a Coincidence. And, of course, it came during that post-war break in the cosmos, right? And absurd theater. So I've always wanted to use that crazy play in some way and that line and somehow this story popped into my head about this person who just didn't ever do anything curious or bizarre. The story just sets up these coincidences which aren't really coincidences and I got to use that line. That's why I think it's funny because Ian Esco is uproariously funny once you get past the strangeness
0: yes and that really is a good way to describe how the story hit me was at first what yeah that's incongruous and and Uh then i thought unless there is subterranean love at work here and then all of a sudden irrational behavior becomes understandable
1: right (laughs) and it gets them back together
0: Folks are just different, aren't they? Yes, they are. Some people send you a postcard. Some people send you (laughs) an instant message. Some people slash your tires.
1: Well, you know, Bradley might not have read the postcard. Is that in his routine? He might, you know. Yeah. How to reach Bradley is to disrupt the routine so profoundly that he (laughs) has to sit on his front stoop and go, huh?
0: (laughs) Well, I think that's what artists—I almost said are paid to do, but that would really be cruel, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd say that's what—that's what artists intend to do. Yes, is to break, break us out of the routine, to challenge. Or what's what's the old phrase I heard to delimit our consciousness, right? To break through yeah. and away from our rut.
1: Yeah, and to make the familiar unfamiliar. And those slashed tires make that car pretty unfamiliar.
0: Well, we're both going to get slashed if we don't feed the cats.
1: Oh, time so to let's feed take the cat. A quick
0: break. There they are scratching at the door. Everybody else, get up. Seventh inning stretch, and we'll see you in a couple. John Modaf, and you're still listening to The Unruly Muse. That's so nice.
1: Very nice.
0: That music for Feed the Cat there was from our friend and friend of the show, David R. Merrill, who is from Virginia, lives in Williamsburg, Virginia. And he is a craftsman and a musician, a songwriter and performer. And the next song you will hear is off of his excellent album called 13 Years. Here it is,
2: Dance. Oh, there I you. You're up there making your
3: moves. Insecure you, make sure, make sure they're still watching you. they me all of it. You know inside, you're just not the kind. You try and hide deep in your mind. Dance until you're lost from it. Dance until you're out of this world. What you do, what you do, they're eyes on you. Make sure, make sure they're still watching you. Dancing till you're lost from it. Dancing till you're out of school.
1: I'm so glad you've introduced me to Dave's music now several times. I've become a huge fan.
0: He performs very carefully with his language and his his uh, instrumental support. And if you listen to that song several times, you hear three or four different threads going simultaneously, which reminds me of a human dancing. You've got two arms and two legs and a body all moving, sometimes in concert and sometimes uh, askance. and he picks that up with this song, but also, my, the most interesting part is the examination of why the person is dancing. It's an interesting competition of appetites. They want to be watched, mm-hmm. right to make sure people are still watching, but they want to break free and break out of some kind of space that they feel stuck in, and which is to throw off the desire to you know, conform and to do what everybody else is doing. So it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, and it fits in beautifully with our theme because dance is a disruptor. Imagine you're in a terrible argument and one of you just breaks out dancing and, and reaches for your hand. How can you stay in that argument where you were? It embodies the heart dance. It's passion. It's a disruptor. It's wonderful. In a way, you reach out your hand and you say, join me in celebration. It's a uh, healing kind of a thing. It is a an outburst sometimes. I mean, to me, dance is is just such a terrific art form of the human spirit and the human body going on in a way that it's never gone on before.
0: Actually moving against the madness. And if the madness yeah. says, stand still behave, right? Civilization and its discontents, right? Being told to stand still and behave. Here, take your uh, medicine to calm down. And the dancer says, watch this. And uh, just starts boogieing, just like the mouse flipping off the eagle. Uh, Dave's song grabs this really nicely. He's admiring the dancer to me. That's what I mainly hear. He admires the dancer because they're satisfying themselves and in whatever inner burst they're having. But they're also uh, acutely aware and attempting to appeal to uh, and present something aesthetically pleasing to other people.
1: Exactly. That's what's so wonderful about this song, is that it encompasses most of the senses and brings us to a new place. Yeah.
0: And before we uh, leave Dave Merrill, David R. Merrill, in our discussion today, I want to say that he built the guitar that I use when I play the show theme. So if you notice the beautiful resonance of the guitar part in that theme, that is at the hands of David R. Merrill, guitar maker extraordinaire, among other things.
1: And a wonderful, wonderful musician, both instrumental and voice. So thank you, Dave, for sharing this song with us and our audience.
0: Speaking of creation, everything has its moment, even the outrageously beautiful and hard-to-understand structures we see in space— and in nature, and our next poem takes us there. What can you tell us, Lynn?
1: The next poem is called Pearl Nebula. It's by the poet Jack Cooper, who hails from Eugene, Oregon, from his collection Across My Silence. And here is Jack's genesis that he shared with me. Early on, my poetry found a home where the wildness of nature and the logic of science could live and learn from each other. When love showed up at the door, it moved in and stayed. The poem arose in a cosmic glow of newfound love, reinventing sensation and evoking a quantum state wherein nothing exists until observed. So here we have Pearl Nebula.
0: As if history woke up one morning and found it had started over. Circling back, on its long walk by the sea, before the sea.
1: Surrendering darkness and debris to scoop up anything of beauty, missed the first time through, reinventing sensation.
0: Like Jackson Pollock's dripped paints.
1: Box equal half steps.
0: Atoms falling into place the moment they're admired.
1: Frame and form emerging from light without shadows.
0: It was here you appeared, the Pearl Nebula.
1: The Pearl Nebula. The
0: way Saturn and its rings first become visible out of nowhere.
1: Like the egg of an arctic tern in a nest of dust and ice. Well, that really is a remarkable poem. And I am so impressed by how Jack indeed does merge science and language and the heart and lyrics. It's really, it's quite an amazing synergy.
0: Yes, one of the madnesses that you have alluded to rather cryptically, because we're trying to stay out of politics, but one of the madnesses we've been encountering lately has been this adoration and glorification of science, as if science weren't rhetorical. And also the dismissal of it in favor of pure intuition, where people look at the facts and say, "Uh, no, Uh, how I feel about Mm -hmm. this matters more. And so when he described in his genesis that he lived in a home where the wildness of nature and the logic of science can live and learn from each other, that is something we need. This poem demonstrates that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we we need both of those things. And, you know, science is an art as well. It has different rules and forms than many art forms, but there has never been a great scientist who didn't have great intuition.
0: And once again, just like the artist who's elbow deep in clay or paint or words, they have serendipity and they occasionally break protocol or protocol is broken by an accident. And that is the moment where the thing that wasn't supposed to happen happens.
1: That's right. The snake eats its tail. Mm-hmm. That's when it happens. And and his very beginning in this poem sends us there as if history woke up one morning and found it, had started over, which is a definition of art. Mm-hmm. History never will be the same once this piece of art is viewed or heard it's a new world art art creates a new world
0: it does and that is one of the ways that art works against the madness because as we know certain forms Uh, and material that are the products of the old world are no longer functioning or as valuable as they once were and we have to find a way to shake loose from those things and art helps us to do that by showing us that what was impossible to see or to feel is possible
1: that's right and then at the heart of this poem is the pearl nebula and love and that is a wondrous thing as well
0: He's the audience to nature and to science in this poem. It sounds like the narrator is looking at these things and managing to see them at the same time, and not even reconciled, but actually living naturally together.
1: Yes, that's right. There's such a marvelous sense of creation within this poem.
0: Well, we sure appreciate it, and thank you, Jack, for sharing that with us and giving us a little background on where it came from.
1: Yes, thank you, Jack. That takes us into another full circle in our program With our final song, and I'll let you introduce the composer singer.
0: This song was written by my brother Larry Modav, and he performed it with the band Good Enough back in their first album back in the 90s. And it is a song that reminds me very much of that drawing we referred to earlier by Montrose, where the artist just sometimes has to say to the world, I'm going to do this anyway. Rainbow song.
2: book and know in the end it ain't worth the time old
1: i really like about larry's music is the energy that he brings to it and this song is no exception to that the rainbow itself is is such a sense of hope and possibility and the artist's glimmer on the horizon you might say i also love how it circles back to rainbows and oz from the beginning of our program yes
0: yes Really, this is a song with a simple message, but one that's hard to reckon in real life, and that's when people either experience directly or indirectly this bias against art that says it's not raging against anything, it's a waste of time because it doesn't make any money. And the answer to the the critic that says the end of the rainbow never comes should probably be so what?
1: Right. And, you know, as we've said over and over, if you don't look, you don't see it. And that's certainly one of the things that's wonderful in New Mexico is that we have a double rainbow often after a rainstorm. And first you just see one rainbow and then you go, oh, my God, it's mm-hmm. encircled by another rainbow.
0: Yes. And you have to let your eye linger there to see it.
1: That's right. If you don't look long enough, you'll miss that second rainbow.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we really do appreciate Larry's message in this as it relates to our theme and in general as two people who try to rearrange materials and language into things that are expressive and aesthetic at the same time or aesthetically valuable. And that is that uh, it's all right that there's not money always at the end of the rainbow, that there are other forms of artistic <laughs> satisfaction. That's right. And really, <laughs> among all the artists, if you think about the gross number of artists, not not to be confused with the number of gross artists, but the, the gross mm-hmm. number of artists compared to the number of artists who actually eat because of their art, it's probably a tiny fraction I mean, of, of those who actually yeah. make their living.
1: Well, yes. Yeah, some people live to make art. Other people make art to live. But I agree. The majority of artists live to make art. They have to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like we always tell writers, you know, don't do this unless you have to do it because it's a hard row.
0: So we've seen then that art does work against the madness in several ways. One, it helps the artist stay sane. The other it is it helps the world see its own craziness and maybe find a way around it. And it can help us appreciate the shortcomings and the various debilitations that people suffer in their own minds. And maybe encourage us to be patient, too, with them through art and with art.
1: Yeah, we need it. Another thing it does is it moves civilization forward frequently after really difficult periods, you know, World War I, World War II, other wars, uh, other horrible things like this pandemic that we've just been through. Then we have a renaissance of creation and people breaking out. Because of the restrictions, yeah, that the the trauma created these restrictions, and now people want to leap out and do something new. And I think we're going to be seeing that in the next months.
0: Lynn, you just need to figure out a way for us to skip the trauma.
1: That's right. Is it possible? (laughs) I don't know. That's the question of the day. (laughs) Whoa, we'd have to devote a whole show to that.
0: Yes. Can we have art without suffering? I don't know. Yeah. Well, where are we going to turn next?
1: Well, our theme next time is The Shadow.
0: And not just the old radio program, but shadows of all kinds. From philosophy to music to art to stories, we'll dive into the shadows.
1: Meanwhile, if you want to leave us a message or comment, send us an email to theunrulymuse at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you have to say.
0: That's right. Comments of all kinds are welcome.
1: You've been listening to The Unruly Muse. I'm Lynn Miller.
0: And I'm John Modaf.